0: being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My song shall be always of the loving kindness of the Lord. With my mouth will I ever be proclaiming your faithfulness from one generation to another.
1: For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness
0: shall be established in the I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. O Lord, the heavens will praise your wondrous works and your faithfulness in the assembly of the saints. God is greatly to be feared in the council of the saints and to be held in reverence by those who are round about him. You rule the raging of the sea. You still the waves when they arise. You have subdued the great half of the
1: deep and destroyed her. You have scattered your
0: enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. You laid the foundation of the world and all that is in it. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand, and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth shall go before your face. Blessed are the people, O Lord, who rejoice in you. They shall walk in the light of your countenance. For you are the glory of their strength, and by your favor you shall lift up our might. For the Lord is our defense, the Holy One of Israel is our King. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel.
1: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. The gospel of the Lord.
0: Praise to you, Lord Christ.
1: Father, we ask that the very spirit who inspired St. Matthew to record these words of your son would be with us now, would enlighten the eyes of our heart, that we may see a fresh revelation of your resurrected son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. may be seated. If you would, open your Bible with me to the 10th chapter of Matthew. This is our lectionary-appointed gospel reading that churches across uh, the Roman Catholic tradition, the Anglican communion, will be reading together. And that's something kind of beautiful, even as uh, I'm, I'm able to worship with, with you, a church I usually uh, don't get to to be with. It's a good thing to remind ourselves that we're part of a family that transcends any one individual Uh, person. Part of the reason Anglican uh, priests wear the garb they do is that you can be kind of interchangeable, that this tradition, this Christian tradition to which we belong uh, uh, is more uh, capacious than the person who dons the stole. In fact, the vicar previous to me at All Saints, his name, Dave Larley, many of you know Dave, and He's uh, Canadian and important for this story is he looks nothing like me or I look nothing like him. And the other day I did a wedding of uh, someone and folks who uh, used to go to All Saints came forward and they started talking to me about Putin, And I thought, And I love poutine, but it didn't seem like that was on like the bingo card list of things that might interest me. And I realized as they were talking, they think I'm—they haven't been to All Saints in many years—and they think I'm him, Dave Larley, because we wear the same thing. Because poutine's a Canadian uh, delicacy, maybe the best thing that's ever come out of Canada. (laughs) And uh, so, anyways. That's, that's a good re- reminder. I doubt you'll mistake me for Mark. Uh, but it is nice to lead with the same liturgy and the same gospel lesson. So if you have uh, your Bibles open to Matthew 10, we see here Jesus addressed the path to the two deepest desires of the human heart. The two deepest desires of the human heart are to be known and to be forgiven. And here we see Jesus tell us the path to being truly known and truly forgiven, Uh, If you drove an hour and 44 minutes, I know because I looked it up on Google Maps uh, in the parking lot. If you drive an hour and 44 minutes southwest of here to Heiko, Texas, you would find a museum dedicated to the memory of Oliver P. Roberts. Now, my dad and brother-in-law are not able to to answer this question. Does anybody else know who Oliver P. Roberts is or was? What's that? Incredible. Have you been to Heiko? Am I pronouncing it correctly? I thought it was Hicko at first, but then I thought Heiko would sound uh, more cultured, which I know is probably known for being the epicenter of correct pronunciation. Oliver P. Roberts claimed to be Billy the Kid, and at 90 years old, he made a trek to New Mexico to meet with the governor of New Mexico. The previous governor, uh, Lou Wallace, who wrote Ben-Hur, had promised Billy the Kid a pardon. And uh, this man, Oliver P. Roberts, uh, claimed to be Billy the Kid, and he made this trek to New Mexico, and the trek killed him. He was in bad health already, and the stress of of the trip took a toll on his body, and he was met at the governor's office with various reporters and uh, sort of subject matter experts to figure out, is this guy really Billy the Kid? And through all the questioning and so forth, he asked to lay down he had a stroke in the governor's office. He made it back to Heiko, uh, but died shortly thereafter of a, uh, of a heart attack. And all of his family and friends said this trip to New Mexico, which wound up being uh, very, very stressful, ultimately killed him. Well, the lawyer who prepared the brief uh, that he might receive a pardon was a lawyer from St. Louis and became in the last year of uh, Oliver P. Roberts' life a friend of his. And someone asked him shortly after Oliver P. Roberts' uh, death, which Harry Truman believed that Harry Roberts was, uh, Oliver Roberts was uh, Billy the Kid. But somebody asked the lawyer, do you think... Uh, This man, Oliver P. Roberts, regretted coming forward and making this claim. Even if he is Billy the Kid, it's not like he could have benefited in any way uh, by making this claim. And the lawyer said, at the end of his life, all this man wanted, whoever he was, all he wanted was to be truly known and to be forgiven, to receive pardon. And he said, in the end, it cost him his life. Now, that is what Jesus' point here is. The deepest desire of our heart is to be truly known and to be forgiven, and it will cost our life. Jesus says we must take up our cross that we may in two things, be known and be forgiven. So look again at verses, uh, let's start at verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus begins this kind of oracle to his disciples saying, I have come not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. And at first the Jewish people who hear this have to be excited because uh, they all as a Jewish people were longing for a Messiah to come with a sword And declare a sort of ethnic liberation that these people, this clan, these children of Abraham, genetically, biologically, could be set free from Roman occupation. And Jesus says, I've not come to bring peace, I've come to bring a sword. And everybody has to be excited because this is what they long for a Messiah who will wield a sword, who will set his people free. But then he says, This sword. Does not, thank you very much. I was going to have you preach the sermon if I had lost that. Uh, he says, I have come to bring a sword, but the sword will divide not this family of people, the children of Abraham, with this family of the people, the children of Rome, but this sword will pierce family members. In other words, it won't be genetic. It won't be the Jewish people coming over here and being set free and the way into salvation then will be sort of an ethnic uh, move. No, Jesus says, I've come to bring a sword, but the dividing line of peace and wrath is going to be spiritual. In other words, you can't just know, well, my parents were Christians and their parents were Christians and now I'm a Christian because I was sort of born into this faith. No, this faith will have to be personal. It will be something that each individual will sort of have to decide for themselves. And to decide to put your faith in Jesus, not only won't heighten your ethnic identity which this is a, kind of an example, you know. It's not that that's the only identity we have is of being of a particular family. It's just the most kind of natural, innate identity marker. But you could say this for, you know, if, if you become a believer, expect to be estranged from, you know, the Dallas Cowboys or from SMU or whatever identity marker, whatever hat you wear in life, Jesus is saying that identity marker not only will not be highlighted, it'll be subjugated to the lordship of Christ. Jesus has come that we might have peace and life, but in order to have peace, in order to have life, we have to accept his lordship which is to subjugate, it's to relativize every other identity marker we have. To be truly known as a disciple of Christ, it will be costly. It will be a cross. And that's just what integrity is. You know, integrity is if you're inside, if in your heart you confess with your faith that Jesus is Lord, integrity means that that inside voice, your inside heart will match what you say on the outside. Uh, we have a gentleman, he may come uh, to, to St. Patrick's, he'd be fine with me telling you a story. It uh, kind of bounces between All Saints and St. Saint Bart's and, and perhaps St. Patrick's. And uh, his father, late in life, became um, uh, uh, Islamic. And last year before Thanksgiving, uh, this gentleman said, whose father who had become Islamic maybe four years ago, he said, you know, I go home and he said, I just don't want to fight. I don't want, especially in front of his kids, he said, I don't want to just constantly be arguing with my father. Um, he, said, uh, he said, so I probably, he said, what would you suggest I do, you know, going to be with my Islamic father? And uh, I thought about this verse, and I thought, you know, my temptation would be if I'm thankfully, uh, my family's here, I, I'm not in that position. They're, they're believers, which is wonderful. But if I was in that position, uh, I would be very tempted to just kind of go along with whatever this person, who obviously is very influential over your life, says. And I said, You know, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what to say. In other words, it's probably perfectly appropriate at the dinner table not to talk about your faith. But Jesus is clear that if you were to put your faith in him, if if he's to be Lord, that even this family identity, when asked to describe the peace that is within you. We have to be ready to give a defense for it, a reason for this faith that's within us. That's integrity, that your outside voice, what you say to at work, which is an identity marker, amongst your family, uh, amongst your fandom, at school, whatever it is, that that outside would match the inside, that you could be truly known. And here's the thing, until and unless you are truly known, which is to say you have submitted your life totally, totally to Jesus's Lordship, unless and until you've done that, you can't be truly known anyway. In other words, you can say and sort of keep the peace with everybody in your life and sort of go along to get along and pretend like this isn't true inside of you, but you won't be truly known. It's the deepest desire that you would be truly known. Jesus says the way to do that, you have to be prepared that it would cost you your life. And I gave that example of... uh, of a friend whose father is is islamic but he's not worried about his life as he tells his father of of his christian faith there are people in the world today many anglicans in fact who live in parts of the world who this sword jesus talks about is very much still a lived reality that for them to confess faith in the resurrected lord it could cost them their very life and as anglicans today is the birthday of thomas cranmer Who's sort of the father of kind of the modern reformational Anglicanism? During the Reformation, uh, Cramner, you know, uh, was putting together the Book of Common Prayer. He, he was a bishop in the church and believed that salvation was by faith alone and had these kind of, you know, uh, uh, broad Protestant positions, which offended the royalty of. England, and he was demanded to recant these beliefs. And he did. He signed a piece of paper recanting these kind of basics of the gospel that he believed in, chiefly salvation being by faith alone and Christ alone. That sword of war that Jesus talks about was too egregious, it was too bloody, it was too scary. And he signed something violating his inside voice. He, he wasn't truly known. But here's what's interesting, is he did it for a time, for a small season, he recanted all of these deep theological convictions he had, but he couldn't live that way. He couldn't live with his inside voice and his outside voice not matching He couldn't live a disintegrated life. He desired this integrity that Jesus says is possible. You can be truly and fully known, not only by God, but by others, as you confess this faith that is within you. And so Cramner retracted his retraction and was burned at the stake for it. And as that sword came, that bloody, bloody sword, as he saw the pillar of fire that he was being drugged to, not only did he think it's worth it, this confession of Jesus being Lord. Not only do you he think he's worth it, but he signed the document with his right hand and he said, I want my right hand to be purified first, this hand that recanted. And he put his right hand in and then his whole body in and it was worth it. Why? Because he wanted to be fully known and the path to being fully known is a cross. It's death. It's reputational death, perhaps. It's a death at work. It's death, even Jesus' names this most basic, fundamental identity marker, perhaps even your family, but Jesus says it's worth it. Why? Because we don't stop at Lent. There's Easter after Lent. There isn't just a cross. There's resurrection. We just prayed for little uh, Moses, right? Think of the story of Moses. The people go down into a watery grave, but they don't stop there. The waters part, and they go up into what? The promised land, and death can't overtake these people of God, and neither can it overtake us. And Jesus says the cross is worth it because there's resurrection. That's the first thing, is that we could be truly known, but it'll take the cross. And to be truly known, we have to push away those who are even most near to us. Last point, the deepest desire is to be forgiven. And in order to be forgiven, we have to die. Look at verse 40. Whoever receives you, talking to his disciples, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you, he will certainly not lose his reward isn't that interesting? He's contrasting these things: that these people, this circle of uh, relations that are nearest to you, your family, in order to be a Jesus disciple, you have to be willing to push those away, that you might be truly known, primarily not on ethnic grounds, but on your faith ground. And then, once you're in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, as we come to church. You have to be willing to draw near to you those people who used to be away from you. And we pray this, you know, uh, forgive us our sins, even as we what? Forgive others. That's what it means to be a believer, that as you come to church, you find a familialness, a familyness to the people of God, to people who perhaps are even strangers to you. That as you're walking down a street and you run into a believer in Jesus, that person, just by nature of their believer-ness, you owe them something because they're your relative now. A thing you don't own people at work who you see every day who aren't believers, you are now tied to someone, perhaps another part of the world, who you've never met. You are more bound to them. And Jesus says, the church is supposed to be a welcoming, hospitable community, my family. And when you become a believer, it's, of course, costly. It's costly because you put away from you, relatively, those who you kind of have a natural allegiance to by, by your ethnicity, your family, your work, your fandom, whatever it is. As you push those people away, you then welcome people at church, who don't look like you, who perhaps don't vote like you, who uh, you would never hang out with. And the church should be able to be explained in no other way. In other words, if a sociologist just looked at our, our background, our income, our interests, there should be no other way to explain people in this room, but something supernatural has happened. These people would never gather into this room. They don't have a shared interest. There, there isn't just you know, a mutual fandom to which they belong. No, these people are Jesus followers. They have welcomed near. They have forgiven, which is why we always have the passing of the peace before the Lord's Supper, because the way we have this hospitable community, if it isn't ethnic, if it isn't familial, the only way we create this space is by forgiving And that's why it's the path to be forgiven is a cross because it costs us something to forgive. Just in closing, you know, the book of Philemon is about this. There's a slave named Onesimus. When we think slave, we shouldn't think of sort of American chattel slavery, um, but sort of an indentured servitude. Onesimus steals a bunch of things from Philemon, who he works for, and he runs away to Rome. And when in Rome, he meets Paul. Now the penalty for stealing from your employer and running away when you've sort of signed, sort of like signing a contract, you know, to work at, at, to, to finish a building if you're in construction. And then not only do you not build the building, your firm, but you take all the equipment and all the things you've done and you go away, you know. And in the ancient Near East, the penalty for doing this for Onesimus is death. But then Onesimus becomes a believer. And Paul knows his former employer, Philemon, and he writes Philemon a letter that we have preserved for us in Holy Canyon, the book of Philemon. He writes him a letter and he says, Onesimus is coming back. And he says, I have great news. Onesimus is a believer. And he says, therefore, when you see Onesimus coming down, don't sharpen your sword. Don't call the police. He says, when you see Onesimus coming to your house, he says, welcome him. No longer as a servant, but what? Welcome him now as a ver- as a family member. And then Paul says this. This Paul who writes the book of Romans and Ephesians and pontificates on justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, that the debt we owe the father by nature of our sin has been paid by Jesus, that Jesus stood in between us and the father, paying our debt if we put our faith in him. This Paul who had received that justification says, whatever Onesimus owes you, charge it to my account and receive him no longer as a slave, as a family member, because Paul had been received by the Father, no longer as a servant, no longer as a slave or an employee. But Paul, by putting faith in Jesus, when Jesus wrote to the Father, I write this with my own hand, in my own blood, receive Paul as you would receive me. The apostle Paul now has no other choice but to be willing to deplete all of his resources to forgive as he's been forgiven. That costs something. It's a literal cost. And it will cost us to keep coming back here to St. Patrick's Anglican Church. It will cost us. There will be people who get on our nerves. There will be people who offend us. But Jesus says if you receive a prophet, which is just to say a believer. If you receive a believer, if you show hospitality, believer, if you show forgiveness, if you forgive as you've been forgiven. There's a prophet's reward. There's a righteous person's reward. What's the righteous person's reward? What's the prophet's reward? Well, what's the reward of the true prophet, of the true priest, of the true king? What's Jesus's reward? But to sit at the right hand of the father, to inherit the new creation. Jesus is saying, as you live a justified, atoned life, you follow me to the cross. It will cost you your life. You will die, but... The reward will be resurrection. As you pass through Lent, there will be Easter. As you pass through Advent, there will be Christmas. It is worth it. I bid you then, pick up your cross and follow Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand.